It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor as we try to make the world of work just a little bit better. Uh, And Jeremy, today, (laughs) once again, I love this topic, positive psychology at work, cultivating flourishing teams. Uh, Great to hear that there's some advice out there because I find teams are not flourishing. Uh, We're struggling it, you know, once again, who's leading these teams? Are they actually leaders or are they managing people like pawns on a chessboard uh, but getting people together and getting everyone sort of on the same page feeling like they're part of something bigger uh, so where are we going to lead this discussion today what we're going to do i'll go ahead and in a couple minutes i'll post the resources the references for today into the chat uh, the main reference i think that we might look at i found one by ronald levine it's called positive psychology at work psychological capital and thriving as a as pathways to employee engagement. I ended up I, I enjoyed this this research so much and this paper that this individual put together so much that let's see nope like 15 minutes ago I'll see if he was here in the audience 15 minutes ago I sent him a LinkedIn message and I said, hey, I found your your article we're gonna be I'm gonna be using that as one of the main pieces today if you want to come and talk on it. So it was 15 minutes ago with any luck Ron will pop in. But otherwise, uh, we'll continue on here. First, we got we got to look at what is positive psychology and where is it? You know, where did it start and how is it grounded? Because we've got to know exactly what it is. And in general, we're looking at so in the olden days, psychology was always like we focused on the negative aspects, abnormal behavior, because we talk about clinical psychology and that kind of thing. So here we're looking at what can we do positively, positive attributes, and what are those things that help with organizations in terms of engaging employees, getting them into a state of flow, and actually impacting the bottom line, Tom, which you often, often, often are are thinking of. And in the beginning of this paper, there's an interesting quote from Jack Well, of course, the former CEO of General Electric. It's pretty, it's pretty impactful. Uh, Jack Well, says there are only three measurements that can tell you nearly everything you need to know about your organization's overall performance, employee engagement, customer satisfaction, and cash flow. It goes without saying that no company, small or large, can win over the long run without energized employees who believe in the mission and understand how to achieve it. So in this particular paper that we go over, they talk about psychological capital, which is PSYCAP, and thinking about these the, the combination, the Simultaneous presence of three th- of four things: hope, self-efficacy, resilience, and optimism. There is so much in this one in this one paper, but we, we've got I think four or five different 
resources today. But we're talking about really how do we use positive psychology to help an employee connect with the, the company cognitively, emotion, emotionally, display, apply discretionary effort, which is basically that extra effort that people have. It's like discretionary money, right? If you have a, a budget and you have a little bit left over, you can do what you want with it. That's discretionary. So how do employees employees apply that discretionary effort to help the company achieve based on that added energy that they could put in? The other thing that's important is they're not bound by time. And there's a lot of research on a state of flow. I think it started in like the 1960s research on the state of flow. And then Martin Seligman started incorporating that into positive psychology as well. And then also we're looking at how can we look at like internal rewards instead of not directed by a supervisor's reward, monetary rewards, those kinds of things. And we talk about all the time, Tom, how companies think that to solve problems with uh, absenteeism, turnover, those kinds of things that companies, well, we can't pay them more. You don't necessarily have to pay people more and continue to throw bonuses that there are other things. Once somebody is, has achieved a level of compensation that they think is fair, how do we really get discretionary effort and how do we get people to go above and beyond? So looking at the history of positive psychology, Dr. Martin Seligman, Seligman, I say Seligman, historic speech in 1998 at the APA shows how his daughter, Nikki, was challenging his grumpy ways. And he had a thought. He's like, look, if she, and he says, if she could stop whining by the age of five and exhibit her own self-control, why can't he control his grumpiness. They were actually out gardening and he was being grumpy. And he thought, so he started thinking, what if raising children can be easier and better for the child if you support their strength and focus on what's good rather than try to fixing what's wrong with people? And again, now we go back to the beginning of this show where in the olden days and still with clinical psychology, we focus on abnormal behavior, the, the problems and trying to fix problems. This is a little different. There are different ways to define it. Gable and Height in 2005 defined it as the positive psychology is a study of conditions and processes that can contribute to the flourishing or optimal functioning of people, groups, and institutions. Tom, I'm going to turn it over to you. Plenty to share, but I'm going to turn it over to you. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. And um, of course, lots of questions. And for you, all organizations who right now have a positive psychology, congratulations. I'm sure you're effective and efficient, and the bottom line is doing very well. But in reality, Jeremy, <laughs> most of us work in organizations where the psychology is not positive, um, where, yeah, you know, you could give people a raise, but it doesn't mean they're actually going to work harder, uh, <laughs> especially if they're underpaid. So, I'm really interested in getting maybe some advice about how we move those organizations out of that rut and get them into that positive psychology mindset and, you know, turn them into believers that this can actually affect them. Uh, and I see Linda Ann's hand is up, so I'm sure she's got great advice. In considering this today, my thought and the elements of positive psychology, especially at work, my thought was that we first need to go to Maslow and look at the hierarchy of needs, because if someone is not having their basic physiological needs met, you know, whether they have the right amount of pay, 
food shelter if they're going through a divorce, if they're having problems with their children, if they're if there's if they don't feel like they live in a safe place or if their health is affected, all those kinds of things are going to be paramount psychologically. And so I think it's important that as a leader that you have an understanding of everyone's baseline on the team. If you're looking at trying to get your team to function at a at a maximum level, then you really have to have a, a feeling of where everybody is as a baseline before you can build on that and create that, have them reflect on their emotional intelligence or, you know, how they're connected to the values and purpose of the organization. So I think we need to really look at that piece first and make sure that that's all intact and in a good place before you expect to elevate them to the next level. As you look out across the vast universe of businesses, um, how many leaders are actually doing a good job at that? And I, and I think this is also, uh, you know, even in, in human resources, people look at the the current outward behavior first and are not necessarily looking as to where is that behavior coming from and digging a little deeper so that we can make sure we're hitting the right mark when we offer solutions. Thank you very much for that. Lee, let's go to you. This is one of those interesting topics as far as just overall outlook. And you know how I like to com- you know compare my previous life to my current life. When you're in the military and organizations like that, it's a whole life thing. You know, we like to say, you know, the the, you know, the military owns you 24-7. And you, and you do because there's no overtime or anything. You're paid by the day. You know, you're paid 365 days. But to that end, you actually can, you, you, if you're doing it correctly, you care about the whole person. You know their families. You know what they're doing. You know all these things that are happening in their lives. And you are empowered to talk about things that we don't necessarily talk about in the civilian workplace. And, and little things like we talked about, I think it was last week, where we talked about, you know, beginning mental health. In the military, I could tell one of my people, you need to go see the therapist. And it wasn't just, okay, it was expected. If I do that to one of my civilian employees, I'm going to go visit Linda Ann in HR because I'm in trouble. So you have to you have to be very careful about that. And our workplaces, at least in the U.S., tend to be, you know, an eight to five kind of an operation. You walk out the door and you don't exist for me until tomorrow. So we often don't know what's going on in people's lives. And so, and I think that we're really missing the boat there because people are complex and there's so much more. And, and, you know, it's like I say, you know, I I hate the term work-life balance because it shouldn't be a separate thing. It's just life balance. If your life is out of balance, things are going to go awry and they affect each other. And, And so you have to be a whole person concept. At least from my point of view, you guys can feel free to, to disagree. It's everybody's right to be wrong. My personal approach is that I try to get to know the people that work for me, you know, and I know what they're doing. I know what they're doing. They're going on vacation. I ask about it. They tell me their children are, are doing something. I ask how it went. I, if somebody is ill, I ask about it. And being being very cognizant of boundaries, because, I mean, for some people are not comfortable about it. Well, then I'm not going to ask you if you're not comfortable, because I'm not I don't, I don't want to make you uncomfortable or force you to talk about things that you don't want to talk about. There are those people that live in that eight to five world and don't even talk to me after that. And that's fine. You know, I'll respect that. But taking that time to know those people and then to talk about this is where the coaching part comes in too, with the goals. And what do you want to do with your life? Not your work necessarily, but what do you want to do with your life? Where do you want to go from here? Is it within this organization? Fantastic. Is it not? 
still fantastic, at least for you, not necessarily for me, but I want to work with them to do whatever it is that they want to do. Because if I am investing in them, they're going to return that favor, you know, at least while they're part of my organization. And if I'm helping them to move along a road that's going to lead them to another team or another organization, okay, it may suck for me, but it's worth the investment in the person. And because I'm investing in the person, while they are with me, they give me their best effort. The the team that I currently lead, when, when I inherited this team, I mean, morale was just terrible. Turnover was high. There was a lot of fear. It was just not a good place. And, you know, this is, you know, here's the plug for the IO part. So I go in and I bring in, you know, and I start off just by talking to people. You know, what are things like? What can we do better? What do you see? You know, what are you hearing? And I opened the communication because the previous person had had really believed in that whole mushroom management thing. And so nobody knew anything. And so it was all fear mongering. And I tell them straight up, it's like, look, unless I am specifically directed that I can't tell you, I'm going to tell you everything because I believe in transparency and you need to make the best decision you can with all the information. And you know what? My turnover went to almost zero. And the one person who left was based on a broken promise from the previous people. Everybody else stuck around. People with one foot out the door put, pulled their foot back in and closed the door. And it's been amazing. In fact, someone told me the other day that I've got the only team that's really somewhat stable in our organization right now, <laughs> which I took as very high praise. But it's just because of applying what I've learned both in IO and in my you know military career to care about that entire person and not, you know, I got people to worry about the bottom line. That's not my problem. My problem is getting my people motivated and taken care of and to do their jobs. They, in turn, take care of my customers. And then my customers are happy and they go on about their work and we make our bottom line. We make our goal. So it seems to work out. Right now, I'm applying for position at your firm. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it sounds like your employees are, you know, they're actually experiencing this positive psychology. But, you know, you talked about talking to your employees. And, and I know there's leaders out there who are like, what? I have to talk to people. So how do we encourage those people to get those basic skills? You know, that's that's a tougher one because a lot of it comes down to personality. You know, some things and a desire to change. Because I, if I enforce something on you, it's not a true change. And it's going to revert probably at the worst possible moment. Yeah. Uh, so if I've got somebody who is resistant, then then I'm going to start by 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 demonstrating the behavior I want. I'm going to start with them. So I'm going to sit down with them and I'm going to invest in them and I'm going to show them we can talk. We can get these, what do you want to do with your life? And then I can throw in the little nuggets of, hey, have you talked to so-and-so? Did you know that they're interested in doing this? Have you thought about that? how that could help your team? Why no? I have not. Well, you know, maybe you should have a chat with them. I think that would be great. And even if necessary, I'll pull another person in and we'll have a three-way conversation. And over time, it doesn't work universally. I mean, people are stubborn and it doesn't work for everybody. But a lot of times I find that just modeling the behavior and working them through it in incremental steps goes a long way towards opening their eyes to the possibilities. Well, thank you very much for that. Rich, let's go for you. And by the way, I got the CBOC notification this morning, read your blog, really great blog. Congratulations on that. And and really relevant to <laughs> our discussion today. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. 
Thank you very much. Somebody read my stuff. <laughs> That's one. <laughs> Great. So, uh, yeah, you know, I'm. This reminds me of organizational development, specifically Dialogic OD from um, Jervis Bush, right? And part of that being, uh, you know, some of the techniques that they that's used in this Dialogic. Um, organizational development is uh, appreciative inquiry, right? So building on things that are already working, right? And inquiring about that, because frankly, nobody likes to be told their baby's ugly. And, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, so and we, and that's just it. We talk about all these negative things and, you know, in, in consulting, I, I often, you know, especially earlier on in my career, you know, it was always about telling them, here's what's wrong with what's going on, right? And instead, when you take kind of the the other approach, because you've got hardworking people that have done a lot of hard, a lot of things along the, the way to get from, you know, where they were to where they are now. Um, and there are certainly things that are working that you can build on, you know, so when I thought about what, what Jeremy said about hope and self-efficacy and optimism coming out of positive psychology, right? Finding out what's already working right now and trying to figure out how do we, how do we build on that? How do we replicate what's going on? How do we amplify those good things? You know, I just think that that goes uh, a long way towards trying to get to, you know, from where we're at right now to where we want to be and, and, and fill in those steps there. So, um, Appreciative inquiry, I think it, it it's one of many techniques that can get just, you know, uh, using the positive to, you know, overcome the challenges that we have. Step by step, we might eventually get there. And it's nice to know that there actually is, you know, a program out there. Um, Lauren, welcome to Work Cookie. Let's go to you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I, I'm representing the PhDs, active PhD student. So, yeah, I mean... Th- so much came to mind when talking about this. I recently just did my preliminary examination on, you know, supervisor interventions for helping their employees who are experiencing mental health difficulties. Uh, and I think this goes along with the positive psychology aspect. And when we talk about humans, it's never straightforward. And when we talk about psychology, it's never straightforward. And now we're talking about positive psychology. <laughs> so, you know, the, the couple things that came to mind looking at social exchange theory, right? The fact of you're going to, over time, want to give back to me what I give to you. And so I think a lot of that relationship and and similar to how Lee was describing it, if you put that out there, eventually it will come back. And so I think if our managers and our employees are adopting more of this positive perspective, we're going to start to see our peers and the organization kind of shift towards that. It won't happen overnight, of course, but I do think with social exchange theory, we can see that there is that exchange of whatever you give, you will get, as well as conservation of resources, right? So if I feel attacked or like I'm not in a safe place, I'm going to conserve my resources. I'm not going to give you any extra of what I have. So I think we have to look at that as well when we're thinking about how can we bring positive psychology into the workplace. Something I did want to note, I found this very interesting. A recent survey came out from Workforce Institute at UKG saying that supervisors have the same impact on employee mental health as our spouses, and that's more than doctors and therapists. So it's important that our supervisors are up to speed on how to handle interactions with their employees. 
that's also including how some of their health could be seen as unhelpful, right? Talking about well-intentioned health that actually has an adverse effect. My supervisor, Dr. Cheryl Gray, and I work a lot with unhelpful health, and it's present. And it doesn't mean that the intention behind it is negative. It is positive, but it could have an adverse effect. And so really making sure that our managers, our supervisors are aware of what does work and what hurts. Uh, I think that's going to bring us a lot closer to that positive psychology in the workplace. Do we need to make sure that every supervisor and leader studies psychology? Do we need to (laughs) send them to do a bachelor's degree? I don't think so. Obviously, you know, if you talk to an IO psychologist, we're probably going to be like, everyone needs to do psychology because that's, you know, it's so helpful. But I think what it really is, it's not training the managers and the supervisors to be psychologists or to be therapists. It's to train them on what to look for and how to aid their employees in getting whatever help that they need. And that help could be as simple as, hey, we have an EAP. Or that help could simply be, as Lee said, hey, I noticed you got a haircut. And that person being like, oh my God, no one else noticed, but you noticed. And that meant so much. So I think really just training our managers and our supervisors in almost almost to how to empathize, right? Without calling it, we're teaching you how to empathize. Um, I think that that's kind of what we're looking for. Yes, we're going to teach you how to care. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Matthew, let's go to you. Great conversations going on. And and really, you know, by integrating positive psychology into the workforce, organizations can create environments like what Lee was talking about, where it's not just optimizing performance, but it's contributing to the overall well-being and the satisfaction of of people, of the employees. Um, This can lead to increased productivity, lower turnover rates, positive organizational culture. Um, Linda Ann, when you talked about Maslow and and the hierarchy of needs that reminded me of the conversation a few weeks ago about going from perks to purpose and really once that that foundation of of that immediate need has been met and and now you have people that show up how can we how can we then support them in in positive ways in ways that that encourage overall health and wellness and and productivity they enjoy coming to this place it, it's yes it's a job and they would rather be on vacation somewhere sure wouldn't we all but you know if we're going to go somewhere and spend our time there if managers and leaders and even you know I'm going to I'm going to expand that and say all employees it's it's a responsibility that everybody collectively takes to contribute and support that type of environment that says you know Let's lean on individual strengths. This person is really great at that. So how can we further support that development so that that person can really thrive in what they're doing? Mihai Csikszentmihalyi talked about the state of flow. And if anybody's ever been in the middle of a project that you really like or a puzzle that you really like, and all of a sudden you look up and you go, oh my gosh, it's been four hours. How did time just fly by? Well, it's not that time magically moved faster, but it was that you were so ingrained. You were so enjoying the moment that you didn't realize everything else that was going on. And so really that positive psychology in the workplace, it's it's taking those small steps like Lee was talking about to build that culture, to build that group that can get people closer to that end goal. It's an ongoing process. It's not a one one time, here's the here's the magic solution and poof, you have it. It's built. You built those structures in place. You put the people, you provide uh, resources and uh, development opportunities to really educate people and, and get them involved in that ongoing process. Uh, let me ask you, can this go too far? Um, I mean, I, 
I remember reading about Silicon Valley and the tech companies where, you know, they want to look after their employees. So, you know, we have foosball tables, we have ping pong tables, we have a cafeteria, we've got a snack bar. We even have some cots you can go and lie down on. In fact, you'll never need to go home again. So do, do we have to make sure that it's actually focused on giving people what they need, not using these enticements to just keep people working forever? Absolutely. There, there is a, uh, like everything, like so many things, there's moderation. And, you know, when we talk about foosball tables and ping pongs and, you know, all these extra bonuses, these perks, this goes back to, again, that conversation a few weeks ago, that's perks. And eventually those short-term motivation things are going to wear off. But if you create an environment, if you create a culture that is uh, welcoming and inclusive where people are uh, supported in their own individual way. They're welcome to bring themselves fully or to whatever extent they want. You create that positive environment using some of those positive psychology traits that really set, that really focuses on the individual and says, Tom, what is your area of strength? What is something that you absolutely love to do? And can we find more opportunities for that? All of a sudden, you're the manager that says, your job is not just limited to this one box of tasks. You like to do these other things. Great. Let's find opportunities for you to do that because really that also benefits the organization. But primary focus was what benefits you? Now, all of a sudden you're going to say, why the heck would I want to go anywhere else? I love this place. I get to work on all these extra fun things to you. They're extra and they're fun. But to the organization, they, somebody needed to do it. We just, because we invested the time to get to know you and to really focus on what drives you and what your you know, what your well, how your well-being fits into the overall equation, all of a sudden we can find win-win solutions for us to continue to move forward. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. And if you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real-world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Nick, over to you. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot to, to kind of unpack and things like that. And ultimately, you know, I think we when we talk about organizations that can apply these things, we're, we're going for an ideal. Uh, we're going for how things could be, should be, ought to be. And there's a balance of we can do better, but let's see what the situation is. And I think, you know, we talk about that Linda Ann mentioned the hierarchy of needs. And I think organizations on a basic level have to meet their obligation of fair compensation, appropriate benefits, tools to do the job, and however you want to stack those and, and whatever pyramid you create. And, you know, we often forget that the employee has to give their part as well, 
showing up, being present, being productive. And so it's one of those things where, you know, money is that that universal sort of, okay, they value my time in X, Y, Z. You may have differing dialects of what that means, but it's a language that everybody can kind of get to that baseline. Uh, if you can put a dollar value to it, you can go with it. And it's it's funny because we we talk about very focused on the on the individual side, you know, how do we help the individual employee? And so often, you know, we'll personify an organization as, you know, the big overlords, you know, twisting their mustache or the benevolent, you know, landlord or whatever. Um, and we put all these personality types on the organization, but it really is a collection of individuals. And so again, it comes down to, is this in your culture? Is this what you want to do? Do you want to develop other everybody else? Or are you simply too narrowly focused on, well, we're an automaker, we're going to make cars, we're going to sell cars, and we're going to get as much profit out of it as we can. And, you know, it's it's this transition from kind of production focus to total package focus. And I think that organizations really are struggling with what are my new obligations to my employees? And, you know, the internet's a wild place and you can figure out how employees feel about what, you know, employers should or should not be doing to them or for them. But I think that the the idea of positive psychology in the workplace, it almost starts from a place of, you know, instead of trying to solve problems and keep people in line and, and make everybody a good little soldier, you're trying to say, okay, you know, how do we empower these people to thrive, even if that means I don't have the total control that I want. And so there's a, a release and, you know, we see the flattening of organizations and how that kind of impacts authority structures and things like that. And so I hope that as we put this to, you know, positivity is not just an attitude, but we're adding to organizations in that as well. Nick was a wonderful segue or lead into kind of one couple of the things that I, I wanted to talk about. And that is how do we motivate leaders to care about the employees? And really, I think one of the things we need to look at is how do the the leaders view their leadership? Is it an element of power? And how do they see that power? And one of the things that I've often helped people understand is sometimes you can't have it until you give it away, right? And that's true when in the sales process. It's true with leadership. If you don't, if you're holding on too tight, you don't really have it. And so to let people understand how to give it away, say the power, the leadership, basically the motivation to be engaged in the employee, uh, the the organization. Part of that is helping the leadership understand that when they are aligned with the purpose of the organization, with the with the values and the strategic elements of the organization, and they understand that what their job really is, and they help their employees align with that. Their job is to align their employees' performance and goals and all those kinds of things in that way. They understand then that by getting the employees to be aligned and to develop them, that's what supports them and moves them forward, right? That helps them accomplish what their performance expectations are. And so that if you can't be motivated by that, then there's a whole nother layer of problem there. So I look at it um, that it's really important to understand for leaders to understand how to align their team correctly and then give them the tools and the and the abilities to move forward and, and accomplish that by getting the rest of the crap in the organization out of the way. Agreed. And I guess if Tom dropped off, I get to uh, 
play moderator, which means I get to chime in. And I'm gonna skip a turn real quick because I wanna I wanna look I want like right off of what Linda Linda Ann you said. In this paper, I'm looking at it's it's the expanding capital for competitive advantage. And traditionally businesses have looked at traditional economic capital, like what you have, your finances, your assets. Then it's really only more recently that people start to look at human capital, which is really like, who do we have and what do they know? What are their skills, knowledge, et cetera? Then now when you expand it out even farther, and these are things that have that have been shown to help companies increase their bottom line. It increases the social capital, who you know, of course, networks, relationships. The highest level of that is positive psychology capital, which is who you are, which is what we're all talking about today. How do we get the individual to be who they are? And that is confidence, hope, optimism, and resilience. And when you look at those things, those those elements of, of hope and resilience and so forth, they, they should be, according to the author of this paper, they should be considered independently because then you kind of look at the higher order. So look at those independently and how can you help with an individual's you know sense of agency, sense of control, working towards their own goals, and then self-confidence in their ability. And then you're looking at helping them to focus on the future, what's positive about the future, how can they you know, bar, you know know go through like Barbara Fredrickson's broaden and build theory. And when you put take those elements all together, then you start to look at the, uh, the whole identity and the, that whole like that end piece of the psychological capital. Let's go over to Lauren. And hi, Lauren, I'm glad you made it today. We talked, very excited. By the way, Lauren, do you want to share what what our February topic is going to be? I know I'm putting you on the spot. We're going to do a February theme. I'm just going to let let you handle this broadly based question, Lauren. Yeah. Okay. Broadly based. So yeah. Hello again. I am a co-chair of the pro-social committee at SIOP. Uh, it's my second year serving on the committee. And so February, uh, well, I had approached Jeremy and I said, we would love to talk all things pro-social. And he was like, February is the month. So I'll be hopping on February to help lead. I guess it's about four uh, subsections on pro-social, um, pro-social being how IOs can give back to their community, either at no or lesser cost. Uh, the value that we can bring in doing so. So yeah, excited to to do that in February. Cool. But to, but to keep it going with the um, positive psychology aspect, you know, I I I guess I'm going to play devil's advocate in a in a way. So it, in HR and IO psychology, we also tend to get these like hot topics, right? These these themes where it's like this is it. This is what we need to focus on, and it tends to overwhelm us without us really really taking a, a, a minute to see how does this apply to each industry? How does this apply to each organization? Is it even the correct approach for each organization? And, and it sounds like I'm saying positive psychology does not apply everywhere. I would like to say it is great for, for all working individuals, but we need to understand what the perceived organizational support and justice is of the employees to see what is necessary, right? So it's not just taking the concept of positive psychology and throwing it at an organization because the literature says it's positive, but but really what does the organization need? What aspect of positive psychology is the organization lacking that we can tackle? Um, because again, I think positive psychology is such a large concept that if we don't break it down to what is needed specifically within an organization or a group, it's going to be very difficult to tackle. And going to the representation of a supervisor 
they're essentially being the representation of the organization, right? So your employee has a supervisor, the supervisor's actions, what they say, how they handle themselves, that will be a reflection to the employee of how the organization handles itself. And so there's a lot of nuance that can happen within that, that, such that Linda Ann mentioned, if the supervisors are not on par with what the organization is going for, it, it will be lost to the employee. It will trickle down, whether it is the correct trickle down or the incorrect. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out there and just say there, there's a lot of ambiguity here. I think I mentioned that earlier, but I really think that the key to getting the positive psychology effectively into the workplace is seeing what each individual workplace needs and, and starting minimal and working our way up. Thank you very much for that. Dr. Matthew, back to you. So both Dr. Jeremy and Lauren were, as as you were talking, a couple examples came to mind of organizations that I'm familiar or have worked with in the past, specifically when it came to the talking about resilience and adaptability. So resilience training or resilience development can help implement, uh, it can help employees cope with challenges or setbacks or even change. So Lauren, you had a great point that, that every industry or every organization may have a different approach or a different need for this positive psychology to be able to put a blanket out there that says everybody benefits every way this that's a bit of a of a very large umbrella so one of the organizations that i'm thinking of uh, financial service industry retail financial service industry so the banks and the credit unions where people are walking in every day you know you have one employee that goes out your team of eight is now down to seven you have two people go out you're down to six you're down to five all of a sudden you're in that skeleton crew and you're asking your people who are day in and day out putting in a lot of stuff you're asking them to step up again and again and then you start to see this domino effect of well as two people have went out been out for a few days and i had to step up now i need now i'm not feeling my greatest so i'm going to take a day and then they take a day and then that person takes a day and it it cycles but Positive psychology can uh, incorporating and integrating some of the aspects of positive psychology can encourage that growth mindset, which can contribute to greater adaptability and agility. That's something that I've spent a, a lot of time researching is agility, learning agility and leadership agility, and especially in the face of challenge or change. So, for example, you have that resilience piece that with positive psychology having integrated different techniques in different ways all of a sudden yeah you find yourself on a skeleton crew and you tell your team hey you know what we gotta we're on we gotta go with what we have that's all that we can do right now you can you can put in an uh, a good amount of support and structure that can minimize that domino effect of well now for the next three weeks i'm gonna have two people out at a time because everyone's gonna take their turn all of a sudden there's a mindset shift that says instead of saying why is this happening to me what can I learn from this? What can I, how can I do better at this? Okay. You know what? Today's going to suck, but how do we make sure that we get through today so that we're all back tomorrow? And it's not something that happens overnight. It's something that that leader and that manager and that team continues to build over time. But to be able to get to that point, all of a sudden you're one branch that has, you know, very few people out compared to other branches that are constantly going through that up and down cycle. And other managers, other leaders are going to turn and say, what's going on there? What can I learn from you? That's how you can then spread that ripple effect to others. Thank you very much. Richard, over to you. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit about keeping people motivated, right? Uh, I mean, we kind of we kind of moved into a little bit of things that were wrong. So uh, not so appreciative, <laughs> right? <laughs> but uh, I, I couldn't help but to think of, you know, lay them in lock and, and their goal setting and action theories, which, you know, I, I having 
having people participate in their own goal setting. I know this has worked in the work that I've done with organizations where, you know, you have, you have goals that, you know, your manager, your supervisor, you know, uh, sets for you. Does that work as much as when you're actually part of crafting those goals and, 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 uh, crafting the subsequent, you know, jobs that go along with that? I argue the second is, uh, has historically in, in my, uh, experience and some of the research backs this up too, having that participatory, participatory and, Again, kind of going back to dialogic and and you know the conversations that you have with people um, that helps to raise the you know the self efficacy that begets the resilience to continue on in the face of challenges, right? So, yeah, I just I think uh, like like uh, Dr. Matthew said, you know, we certainly need to be adaptable, but I think starting with uh, with some goals uh, of you know you know setting those smart you know specific measurable attainable, realistic, and time-constrained goals, and having those created with the workforce can, can go a long way to, to uh, leveraging um, you know, some of those, those uh, positive psych, uh, psychology elements. Yeah, I used to love that with organizations when I got to set my own goals. It made me feel good. It made me feel like I was almost in charge. Uh, Lee, let's go to you. Yeah. For, first, let me say, you know, I at this point, I'm almost pure practitioner, right? It's been a long time since I was in school. And so I love sitting in this room of smart people who are much closer to that than I am. And so I, I have the education and then I have the, the lived experience since then. And to listen to people bring up research, which, of course, I'm writing down because, I, you know, thanks for that. To feel to, to get the validation that the, the, the stuff I put into practice is actually backed up by research that sometimes happened after after that was it's really awesome. So I just want to throw that for anybody listening, you know, pay attention to this research stuff, because, I mean, even if you aren't a researcher, there are people that are doing the work and there's a lot to be to be learned there. And it's, it's awesome. You can get just because you may not be in school doesn't mean you can't keep learning. Yeah, there's my plug. I want to circle back to, to something that Lauren kind of t- touched on. The one thing that we just kind of broad brush paint sometimes that. No two people are the same. No two organizations are the same. No two IO psychology practitioners or psychologists are the same. And not everything applies to every situation. And the the needs analysis is so crucial because, you know, me as a practitioner, there are organizations I am not going to be able to help. And I need to understand that. Because if I go in to your organization and we sit down, we have a conversation, we do the needs thing, and I go, yep. Not my thing, but Linda Ann, she's honest. I think you should call her. Thanks for your time. And we need to we need to be honest with ourselves when we're in a situation that we are not suited to. And we need to understand that if you've got a tried and true method, that's great. I mean, I mean, we see them all the time. We see them on LinkedIn or whatever else. You know, this great coaching method works for you know everybody and you know clears up your skin and all these great things. We know that's not true. It doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't work for everything. And we need to, and we need to be uh, intellectually honest enough to to understand that. And so, when you go into a situation and you don't know, because I mean, I'm smart enough to know I don't know, and that's about my level right there. So, I ask somebody. I hit something at work, or somebody asks me a question, and I, I don't. I'm not just going to throw out some kind of bull because that's not the right way to go. 
So reach out to resources, you know, look, you know, look into research or talk to someone who, you know, goes down that path. You know, when somebody, call, you know, contacts me and says, hey, you know, I need I'm looking for somebody who can help me with X, Y, Z. And that's not my thing. Well, you know, I know people and I start referring people and saying, look, you know, I can't help you with that. But this person can. And we need to be as a as a group, we need to be actually intellectually honest enough to understand that we can't help everybody. We as a group can. We individually cannot. And, you know, to the point of everything's not going to work. I mean, can positive psychology work in every organization? To some extent. It's going to depend on the application. It's going to depend on who is doing it and all the various, you know, all the little, you know, nitinoid things that we go through, which is kind of what we excel at as, as IOs, really. But you have to understand that there is no one size fits all. And you have to be, if you, especially if you are a consultant or you want to go into consulting, put everything you can in your toolbox, but understand that your toolbox is not suited to every task. You know, it's it's really better to say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna refer you to somebody than to go in there and fail. And what's that gonna do to the organization, to the people in the organization, to your reputation? So we need to, as a community, we have that amazing ability. I mean, a superpower, really, when you compare it us to other other communities out there, that we will refer each other. And a lot of people are like, no, I can't let this out. You know, to Linda Ann's thing, I've got the power. I can't let it go. And sometimes the best thing is to let it go. You know, and that works as you're a supervisor. One of the best things that I can do as a supervisor is to empower my people to do their own work and to make their own decisions. Because I got my own job. You know, I tell my people regularly, if I got to do your job, I don't need you. What do you want me to do with this? I want you to do what you think you need to do with this. <laughs> I got other stuff going on. I got 29 other people I got to deal with right now. And and the shock sometimes, people are like, What? I get to make a decision? No, you don't get to make a decision. I expect you to make a decision. <laughs> you know, and it goes the same way from the consultant side of, you know, either bring in, partner with another consultant or just know when to say, I'm not the right guy. And hand that, you know, and, 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 and you know, and do somebody a solid. If you know somebody who's got that skill set, referral. And the CBUC team is mighty. <laughs> I love that. Nick, let's go to you. Yeah, there's a, Kind of that idea that it is reciprocal. We all far too often are trying to simplify to the point of I have the magic bullet that's going to work for everybody. And that's not the case. And, you know, we, we live in a world where we are focused on like the individual organization, the individual performance. And then we have to zoom out to larger trends and what are the, the psychological theories and come back down to the how does it apply? And just that constant zoom in, zoom out. And it's daunting and exhausting at times, but that's when you really start to connect the dots of you know how far down can you die where where does this start to fray a little bit and where can it be made better based on a, a new iteration a new attempt a new trial you know we talk about evidence-based you know trying to trying to start from a place where we know what's going on i was kind of thinking about if we're talking about diagnosing I, my mind went to an auto mechanic you know somebody's check engine light comes on it could be one of a thousand things and it could be something they directly caused or it can be the unintended consequences. So, you know, I was thinking somebody got in a wreck. Okay, well, was it because they didn't turn their turn signal on or was it the environment in the car where there were just too many kids screaming in the back seat? And that's what caused the distracted driving. And, you know, a lot of times I think organizations want to do right, but they get distracted by the noise and trying to to balance all of that can be tricky. And I think we we can be biased towards, you know, action and culture and all these things that trend toward that ideal. 
but there's there's a reality that there's there's deadlines there's pressures there's shareholders and stakeholders and that's where this really does kind of get into that murky water of there are some things that when you're in an organization you cannot control and will never be able to control you're you know kind of at the the whims of, of the economy or, or whatever it might be and you know if your individuals are feeling that is that because that's the way the world is or is that the way that the organization is framing up thank you very much for that nick dr jeremy back to you Nick mentioned at the end things that, that can be controlled and things that can't be controlled. There are there's a lot of what, whys. No, there's a lot of what, hows, and whys in all these topics. So I'm going to go through a little portion of this particular topic. Again, going back to just some little bit of research. So you're leading an organization. You're a manager, CEO. You've got employees. If you have an employee that has vigor, dedication, and absorption, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Sounds pretty good. So vigor, high levels of energy and mental resilience while attending to work tasks with the inclination, Tom, to devote one's effort while not becoming easily fatigued and being persistent in the face of challenge. Is that a good thing for an employee? Sure. Dedication, strong involvement in one's work, supported by a sense of enthusiasm, meaning, satisfaction, and inspiration. The meaning part is usually hard, but we can get there. And then absorption, being fully captivated in one's work while having a while having a tough time disconnecting from the work. And that's not like a, uh, a workaholic kind of thing. That's back into the state of flow where time doesn't matter and you forget about time because you're absorbed in captivating work. And that's one of the main things when you talk about organizational commitment, the ability to do challenging work that one likes in an organization leads to more engagement, more satisfaction, which leads to more actual employee engagement. So that's the what. Would you want? Do you want employees who have vigor, dedication, and a sense of flow? So then we get into just a little bit of the how, and this is what these particular authors think of in terms. Of, it's called they call it thriving. So for thriving, for those three things to happen, supervisors can do a couple things: create an environment so that employees can basically we care about your well well being. Boom. Done. We care about your career development and we encourage that. Boom. We love your work, your individual work. You're an esteemed person here. Boom. So, you know, easy enough. You, you can write down ways, you know, here's an employee that I have. Here's someone I work with. How could I do these particular things? So the other thing, Tom, which you mentioned, hey, I love having decision making when I'm making my own goals. That's another thing. It's not just, hey, you can make decisions. It's providing that atmosphere, that environment. We could talk, we could do analogies for gardening all day long, but also providing autonomy and individual sense of control. And also the sense of not necessarily transparency, but that, that you're sharing with employees and that employees know and feel confident that you're sharing information with them, that you're sharing resources with them while they're in the decision-making process. And also if you got trust and respect. So now we're getting into the how, right? So we've got that autonomy, that self-efficacy, uh, and then the what, what's in it for the company. And this is directly from the research, improved service to customers, direct revenue increases, higher earnings per share. And these are all implications of improved employee engagement based on how do you get employees to be in the thriving state through positive psychology. And when you look at cost reductions, you have improved safety in the workplace, fewer accidents, everyone likes that, 
um, improved employee retention, and you've also got lower absenteeism as well. So we just went through the what, the how, and the why of some specific things that we want employees to get to in the thriving state, how managers can help get them there, and then what's the benefit for them and for organizations. Tom, back to you, my friend. Linda Ann, let's go to you. One of the things that you just said, Jeremy, you know, where it's important that the organization creates the environment for the the flow to occur. So what does each employee need in order for them to be allowed to get into a flow state and create that exceptional level of work and performance, right? I wanted to address um, something that Dr. Matthew had said when he was talking about how do we get he was talking about the the situation where there was a absenteeism and and people having to pick up the slack basically and so as leaders it's really important to recognize those situations and then go in and redefine what is a priority and what does success look like for this given time right so you go ahead and say all right there's five of us instead of eight what's really important for us to make sure we're focused on or accomplished today is x y and z don't worry about abc and then this if we get this done then this is this is a a successful day so that you take that burden off of them of i can't get it all done i can't get it all done and if you're in a project kind of environment managing the clients in that way is really important as well where you tell your clients okay here's what has changed in the situation so here's the new deadline we're just not going to make all these adaptations and keep your old deadline that's really important in client management in those kinds of environments as well and with regard to rich when we talk about performance expectations and, and goals for individuals, it's also important to, like, one of the things I do with people is look at the job description, make sure that there's performance expectations that align with your job description that are important for the organization. But we also have a professional development plan for you so that there's two separate documents that have identified what the organization needs. And you can have input into that, but these are really the functioning criteria, but let's also create that plan for you and see how they mesh together. But they are defined, documented plans that we can benchmark and pay attention to and remember, right? So <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for that, Linda. And Jeremy, our, our time is quickly coming to an end once again. Great discussion. It was so wonderful to have university students here. It, it kind of reminded me of I sat through a lot of seminars in university. This is the best seminar I attend every week. Uh, so it should really be standard uh, content for all Iowa psychology students. And Jeremy, after listening to everyone today, can I hire CBOC just to come in and like send me an expert every single week to, <laughs> to work with my staff? Funny you should ask, Tom. Yeah, if, you go, if anyone goes to cbock.com, uh, we've got four universities, four businesses, four IOs. Um, yeah, the, the, and it's all it's all outlined there. So absolutely, and we'd be happy to work with you. A, a note for anyone listening, uh, just a reminder, it's open mic. So these are the open mic recordings. Anyone is welcome to come, join. We're every Thursday at noon Eastern, and you can raise your hand and share your insights. We'd love to hear from you. Tom, I just realized we got a lot of events each month. We had a, we've had at least 10, it's like 10 a month. We've had at least 10 this month already. So 
Uh, we do have a IO Career Pathfinder member meetup on tomorrow. That'd be tomorrow. Tomorrow. No, Jeremy, we're taking the holiday off. Remember? We're taking the holiday off. <laughs> yes, we are. We're not having that, Tom. Scratch that, <laughs> Nick. Thank you. And Nick and I just talked about that yesterday. All right. So moving forward. We have an IO Psychology Job Seeker Meetup on Monday. That is a free open to everybody event. And on Tuesday, we have a CBOC member momentum session. Next week, so next Thursday, the topic is cultivating a culture of employee empowerment. And then the week after that on the 28th, from burnout to balance, redefining work-life integration. And yeah, that's it for December. But we've already had regional events, all kinds of stuff going on. Tom, back to you. More and more all the time. Uh, and I will not be here next week. So happy holidays to everyone. I'll see you on the 28th. And we'll talk about New Year's and all those plans. Uh, and maybe get some perspective of how we you know, make the world of work better in 2024. Uh, with that, Jeremy, I think we are ready for a wrap. So if you want to count us out, we'll see everyone again soon. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.